All right, just letting you know for tonight's meetings, tonight we're going to be covering the book that changed Asia. The book that changed Asia. You don't want to miss that. Wednesday night, we're doing Dining with Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, and Krishna. Thursday night, we're doing Eternity Past and the Risk of God. Friday night, we're doing From Tragedy to Triumph, The Problem of Evil. And there's also going to be a Q&A session afterwards. Saturday morning, I'm going to be sharing my testimony from Sikhism, Hinduism, to Seeking Him. And also, Monday, there's going to be a special topic as well. It's going to be called, The End of Social Injustice, A Hell of a Sermon. You don't want to miss that one. So make sure that you are there Monday night. The End of Social Justice, Injustice, A Hell of a Sermon. Well, you know, restoration is about answering life's biggest questions. When I was actually in college is when I became a Christian. I was born and raised a Hindu. I also come from a Sikh background. And I had all sorts of questions about life, about education. You see, when you come from the Indian culture, Indians are very, how shall I put this, academically inclined. Okay? Just to let you know, my oldest sister, she is a lawyer. The sister after is a doctor. The other sister is a doctor. My younger sister is an accountant for a major aerospace firm. Uh, uh, my brother just finished up his master's in business at USC. Uh, so I grew up in a family that was very educated. My sisters were doing my dad's taxes in their preteens. No joke. Oftentimes for fun, my family, if they wanted to do something fun, they would take the kids to the library and drop them off at the library. So this is how I grew up down in Southern California, between the Indian culture and between uh, the secular Western culture. And it was when I was in college that I really began to examine my life. You know, Socrates said something very interesting. He said, the unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living. If you don't know what you are living for, what's the purpose of life? And so when I was going to college, I was really examining my life, my purpose, my future, my destiny, wanting to understand where my place was in this great world. Because to, my, to me, all I saw was simply getting educated, getting married, having kids, and then eventually die. Now, there are purposes in each one of those things, but there was no grand overarching or arching purpose to all these things. And I wanted to understand what my purpose was in life. And it was these things that really began to motivate and propel me into studying out various kinds of topics and subjects and different kinds of religions. I'm going to share more about my testimony Saturday morning. But there was a man in the Bible, and this was an individual who was considered the example of faith for all believers uh, who follow God. This individual's name was Abraham. Abraham. And the Bible talks about Abraham being the father of faith. He was somebody who was living in Ur of Chaldees, and he heard the voice of God one day, and God's voice called him to, to a place that he himself did not quite understand. To follow God's voice. And people around him did not understand what he was, where he was going. And so Abraham was following the voice of God. The Bible talks about those who are of Abraham's seed are of Christ. In fact, when you read Revelation 18, it talks about this people coming out of Babylon. It's a representation of the people who are like Abraham, who are coming out of confusion and following the voice of God. Can you say amen to that? Now, when you think of somebody who has, who's probably one of the greatest examples of all scripture, Abraham, one must ask the question, what kind of words did Abraham leave for us? So you read throughout all of Abraham's life, starting with Genesis chapter 12, going all the way to Genesis chapter 24 or 25. And you find all about the life of Abraham and the words that he said, his example, his counsel. But did you know, this is very interesting, I just discovered this as I was studying this out. 
The very last words of Abraham are of primary importance. These are the very last words God left for us as an example of our father of faith. And here they are. Genesis 24, verse 3. This is Abraham talking to his oldest servant. And this is what he told him. I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country, my family, and take a wife for my son Isaac. Ladies and gentlemen, what were Abraham's last recorded words? What were they all about? The kind of woman his son Isaac should marry. <clears throat> here he is, the father of faith, right here. The very last recorded words are the kind of woman Isaac, his son, should marry. Now I like a lot of dialogue, so I'm going to ask this question. Why did God, why did God impress Moses to leave these last words of Abraham more than any other words that Abraham could have said as an example for all the believers? Why was this super important? Someone please raise your hand. Or I'm going to call on you guys. Preferably the person right in front of me. Anybody? Come on, take a shot at this. Anybody? Come on, there's got to be somebody else out here besides this guy right here, right? This was a last resort right here, okay? Okay, how about you? Because he, he wants to build a nation and it was imperative that he married the right person that had the kind of moral um, upbringing in order to sustain the nation. Okay, very good. How about you? Anybody else? Someone else had their hand raised. How about you? Why would that be important to us, though? Why is that even relevant to us? Abraham lived thousands of years ago. Why would this story or this, these words would be super important for us today? Okay. Anybody else? How about you in the corner? It, it kind of shows me that the decision of taking a spouse is something you shouldn't take lightly. Like, he had to leave his, wherever they were to go hundreds of miles by walking to another place find another woman. So it's just like the great extent that you should go through is not a life choice. It's something that requires a lot of thought, a lot of fairness. It's a big decision, so don't take it Okay. Do we have a hand over here? Okay. Now I want you to think about this. This is extremely important. Here God leaves us with the father of faith's example. The last record of Abraham's words were, last recorded words of Abraham were, hey, this is the kind of woman my son Isaac should marry. Now the reason why this is very important, I appreciate all those answers, is this. Number one, it has to do with the kind of person we're going to marry, or it has to do with the kind of person that we want our children to marry. You know, a lot of days today, people don't educate their children about the kind of people they should marry. They leave it up to Lady Gaga to, to educate their children. Seriously. I come across, you know, if I'm teaching Sabbath school for the youth, and I ask them, I say, what did your parents teach you about the kind of person you should marry? They'll scratch their head and they said, well, they never actually said that to us. They never actually had that kind of talk with us. Here's the problem with society. We are no longer educating our children our children, our family, to the kind of person or people they should marry. 
And so we leave it up to their family, or we leave it up to their feelings, we leave it up to society, we leave it up to media, and this explains all the problems. You know, actually I was doing a, a little bit of research this morning, and in the previous days, and you know what I found out? I was just typing in love stories in news. I have discovered, this is interesting, there are more fatalistic love stories right now in society than there are actually good love stories. You're reading all sorts of stories of people pushing their wife or their husband off a cliff, somebody else stabbing their husband and wife, and this is happening like crazy all over the world, and it's appearing all over the front page. There are no more lo good love stories. What's happening is there are a lot of these fatalistic, twisted stories that are happening to couples that once seemed in love. And so we need to understand what would God have us to understand, especially for these thing times. Take a good look at what Abraham says one more time. I'll make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the earth, God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughter of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my what? Family and take a wife for my son Isaac. Abraham instructs his oldest, most responsible servant to go on this journey. And so Abraham's servant, he begins to go on this journey. And as he's going on this journey, this individual, by the way, you need to pay attention to this oldest servant throughout this whole story. He communicates with God about five or six times in the selection of Isaac's wife. This man was a man of prayer. Five or six times he was communicating with God, praying to God to send his angel, thanking God, giving God glory. Now, throughout this process, he was making sure he was still communing with God because it was that important of a decision. You know, I actually have a friend, I was a relative, I'm not going to say that person's name. This person was a doctor. She spent over $100,000 on her wedding. Over $100,000 on the wedding. She even had an ice sculpture of a lion. It was amazing. She had several selections. It was like a six-meal Indian catering course that was there. You got there, there were Indian food, then there was more Indian food later on, more Indian food, more Indian food, more Indian food. She, spent, she rented out this part. that it was, it was this giant hall that was connected to Disneyland, of all places. Talk about a dream wedding. Within two months, she was separated from her husband. Two months. You know, I had a talk with her right before she got married. I was very straightforward with her. I didn't tell her this is the person she should marry or should not marry. I just said this. I asked her very, cl very clearly. I said, is this the person you really want to marry? And she just looked at me in a very blank way and I said, because here's the thing. It's better to spend 30 years with the right person than 50 years with the wrong person. If you need to wait, then you wait. It's that important. There's one other decision besides your decision to accept Christ that is going to affect your life more permanently and eternally other than your decision to accept Christ, and that is the person you marry. It's not this trifling thing that we can just say, well, it doesn't make a difference. I, met, I experienced, I know what I'm doing. This is the part we need to understand. The lesson we get from Abraham's life is that Abraham was showing that he needed to be involved in the selection of Isaac's wife. Now, how many people here have godly parents? Raise your hand if you do. Okay. I resonate with those who do not. And I mean godly. I mean in the sense that they are Bible-believing Christians. I come from a Hindu background. My dad passed away. My mom is still alive. But when I'm looking for counsel, 
in the selection of a godly wife. I can't go to my mom. Because the last time I talked to her, she said to me, she's like, you're going to marry a Hindu woman. <laughs> That's what she told me. So, you know what? This is extremely important. Do not miss this point, and that is this. We need to make sure there are mentors in the selection of the person that we are going to marry. We need to invite that. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. You know, when I was speaking before a bunch of high schoolers one day, I said, don't forget that when you're choosing the right person, remember your right hand. Okay? These are five principles you need to remember. Number one, make sure that they have the same religion as you. That's a given. Number two, make sure their interests are fairly similar. Number two, make sure their goals are fairly similar. Make sure that they have holiness, actual genuine holiness in their life. And make sure the last thing was that there are teachers involved. Mentors are involved in this decision-making process. I have a good friend. Her name is Nicole Parker. You ever heard of Nicole Parker? Okay, Nicole Parker is somebody. She is one of my best friends in the entire world, but she will cut you in half. I never forgot there was this particular individual I was interested in, okay? And I said, Nicole, I got some chemistry with this person. She's a Bible worker. We're doing good. It seems like we're having all sorts of connection here. And then you know what she says to me? She's like, give me her Facebook account. <laughs> I was like, all right. So I gave her a Facebook account. And I never forgot this. Nicole called me back within half an hour. And she's like, let me just tell you something. I said, what? She said, this woman wants to get married as soon as possible. I go, what's the big deal? Everybody does. She's like, no, she wants to get married tomorrow. <laughs> and I'm like, come on, you can't, you can't say that. And she's like, no, no, I understand this very well. I'm like, no, but I, I just felt convicted. And so I kind of detached myself from that, found out she got with another guy, this particular girl, got with another guy within a month and a half and was engaged within two months later. So this is why it's super important to make sure that you have good mentors in your life. The life of Abraham teaches that we just cannot leave it up to ourselves in the selection of our wives. We need to make sure, or husbands, we need to make sure that there are other people who are involved in that decision-making process. Can you say amen to that? All right. Now take a good look at this. This is very important. Here you have the story of this servant who begins to take off. He begins walking. And he takes his 10 camels with him and a bunch of servants. And as they get there, this individual begins to pray. Now watch what he prays for, okay? The servant of Abraham. Thus he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me what? What's that next word? Success this day. Behold, here I stand by the well of the water. And by the way, did you know most Bible patriarchs met their wives at a well? <laughs> at a well. Do you know what a well is? It's a place where the water of life is flowing. Bible patriarchs met their spouses at wells. You see a pattern throughout scripture. But they didn't just meet people who were by the well. They met people who were drinking from the well. Amen? I'm going to say this to you. Some of you guys are going to laugh at me, but Loma Linda is a well. <laughs> Trust me, you go to the rest of the world, you will realize Loma Linda is a well. Loma Linda is a place where there are godly people and not so godly people. Amen? There's a higher concentration of godly people probably in this area and a higher concentration of not so godly people in this area, right? 
You have a lot of churches. You have universities where people are in a fairly uh, common religion or religious beliefs that you have as well in practice. Right. So when you're looking for somebody, you want to probably angle toward look towards a place where there is a well, not just where people are by the well, but where people are drinking from that well. And so this servant begins to pray. Look what he says. And the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. She says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink and let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. Here's a good question I'm going to ask you guys. Why did this servant make this the criteria for choosing a wife for Isaac? Yes. Okay, very good. Anybody else? Yes? It would show that she's a servant because camels drink a lot of water. And so if she agreed to go and uh, give him water as well as all of his... Do you know how much water camels drink? Gallons and gallons. Okay. Anybody else? (laughs) Why was this the criteria? Unselfishness is important. Okay. Are you married or single? Or married or single? Single, are you single and not dating? Or single or not dating? Sorry about that. I ate late last night. Sorry about that. Okay. Are you single, meaning that there's no particular, there's nobody on the immediate radar? Okay, very good. I'm going to embarrass you a little bit. Okay, so here you are, right? Would you be impressed if somebody was actually taking care of not only you, but your dog and cat? Would that impress you? Wow, okay, anybody else? (laughs) Now, now, here's the thing. We're all going to say character here. We're going to say this this was all about her character, but that is too general. Why specifically this characteristic? We got less than 10 minutes. Come on. Why specifically this characteristic? Come on, out of all the ways that you can choose somebody, and you think about this servant, he could have said, well, I just want her to be beautiful. I want her to be somebody who's connected to Abraham. He says, look, I'm looking for somebody who's not only going to you know, give me a drink of water, but give me my 10 camels a drink of water as well. Why specifically would that be the criteria? Yes, over there. Very good. I need you to be specific. She knows how to work hard, right? Still too general. (laughs) Anybody else? Come on. Take a shot at this. Why camels? He could have said, well, look for somebody who's just going to, like, take me over to their house and take care of me and all these people. But specifically, he hones hones in on this. Yes, read. Uh, Camels run clean, so she's considering the water, the well of life, or the wellspring of life, then she's ministering to him and also to the unclean. Oh, that's good. I wish I'd have thought that, but that's not the answer I'm looking for. <laughs> that's good, though. Serious. I don't remember that. How about you over there? But why feed the camels? Why take care of the camels' thirst? What would that have to do with them traveling back? 
It's okay. Don't worry about it. Anybody else? Come on. Maybe she prayed the same prayer. Maybe she was praying the same prayer. Whoever comes by with 10 camels, <laughs> I know is going to be my husband. That, that's a unique prayer, you know. I've never heard that before. How about you? Could it be that uh, that meant that they would, they would be ready to go back immediately? Uh-huh. Give him a drink, say, all right, we're ready to go. <laughs> she didn't have uh, foreknowledge of this situation, what was about to take place. She just did it. Yes? A heart of service. A heart of service, okay. Still a little bit general, but can you be more specific? Why would this servant make this the criteria? Concern for the welfare of others. I feel like you just repeated what she just said, (laughs) but in a different way. Here's the thing. Do not forget this, okay? Isaac was to become the new head of Abraham's tribe. Therefore, his wife must be somebody who models servant leadership above anybody else. This had to do with the future role of the princess of that tribe or the leader's wife of that tribe. This is what it was all about. This servant was well known. He knew the whole situation. He knew that Abraham just had not too much longer to live. He said, you know what? Isaac's about to take over the camp. I need to make sure his wife might be somebody who will be able to model the kind of leadership that Abraham and Sarah had, which was servanthood, specifically the trait of hospitality. Did you know that was a primary characteristic of all biblical patriarchs and their families? Hospitality. You know, many times I go to church members' house, I'll come to their house, I'm like, hey, I just want to visit you guys, and they'll stand at the door, and they won't let me in. <laughs> and they're almost like block off the side of the door right there. And I recognize, what is wrong with people? What happened to just people being cordial these days? You know, the Bible tells us that, you know, to be careful because we might be entertaining angels unaware. You know, when I went to Pakistan, I was speaking at the Pakistan Adventist Seminary. We went to the birthplace of Sikhism there. It was the very first Sikh temple. We went in there just to tour the place. And so we went there, and there was this old Sikh man, and he was just renovating the entire Sikh temple. So we were walking around, checking out the area, and then he asked us if we wanted some food. We were like, no, no, it's okay. And he's like, you don't understand. It's my religion to offer you food. And then he said something I never forgot. Where there is no food, there is no temple. Where there is no food, there is no temple. Did you know the simple act of sitting down and eating is of primary importance to God? You take a good look at the feast days, these days that were educational. You take a good look at Jesus' ministry. He would go where he was invited, and he loved to go inside homes and fellowship. He appreciated hospitality. God is very hospitable. There is one trait that we need to start reexamining and put back into our life, and that is the trait of hospitality. It is that important. I grew up in a culture, an Eastern culture, where you come over, you know, it's like, yeah, come on in. We'll make you sit down, and by the time you leave, you're 10 pounds heavier. Seriously, it is that important. When you come over, 
You know, my, you know, I grew up, my mom was like, make sure to get some food out there, make sure they're seated and comfortable. It's that important. We have forgotten this trait. This is what made Abraham such a, a well-respected man, even among the Canaanites, that even if strangers walked by, they would be welcomed into his camp, and many of them would become believers in the same God Abraham would. And so this man makes this the primary characteristic or the criteria. And so here he is. He's praying and he's just like, okay, God, send down your providence. But here's the thing. It was not just different kinds of providences. It was a certain kind of providence. Anybody ever have a prayer of providence before? Some of you guys have done it and you guys are just denying it. It goes something like this. God, if she looks at me and accidentally winks her eye, I know she's the one. She just winked. She's supposed to be my wife. Seriously, we have prayed most unusual kinds of providential prayers, and we find out that they're answered or they're not answered, and we're just kind of questioning things. But notice the kind of providential prayer he was praying. He was praying for providence to see a revelation of who she was. This wasn't just providence just to make things very clear and to say yes or no. I had a friend, and this friend, I'm going to keep my name. He was wondering whether or not he should date somebody. Here was his criteria. He said, God... And they were in the woods. It's, it was that ridiculous. They were in the woods, and they were overlooking this, this, on this cliff, and they were overlooking this valley of trees. This was his prayer. God, if two birds fly out together, I know that we are meant to be. And he's looking around, and his, you know, the girl that he was interested in said, what are you doing? And he's like, just keep your eyes open for two birds here. <laughs> After about 10 minutes, they see two birds fly out, and to him, that sealed the deal. Three months later, they were broken up. See, he wasn't kind, praying the kind of providential prayers to reveal character. He was praying the kind of providential prayers just to make things, just this is the final decision. But you see, God knows that in relationship, unconditional decision-making, unconditional loving decision-making is always going to be part of that relationship as you get married. And so for God to bypass that is not really within his character. He wants to make sure that you have this decision-making process as you are going into a relationship. Can you say amen to that? And providence can be part of that prayer, but providence needs to be more along the lines of revealing more and more the kind of person that they are. And so here he is. He begins to pray that prayer, and all of a sudden, guess who shows up? It was none other than Rebecca. Rebecca shows up. And she goes there, and you know what's so amazing? This is amazing. When you actually take a good look at the story, she not only feeds the camel, but, or takes care of the camel, she actually makes sure, makes sure that they are actually full. It says, when they had finished drinking the water, I looked at what some commentary said, 250 to 400 gallons of water. She would have to keep taking water in these pitchers, keep pouring it in, keep pouring it in, keep pouring it in, keep pouring it in. And he was just there, and he was just watching. And as he was just there, I mean, just think about this. That's what he was doing. He was just there, and he was just watching. The Bible even says he was wondering whether or not the Lord had made his trip successful. And by the time this was done, he had clear evidence. This woman, unselfishly, was serving and was modeling the kind of leadership that would take over the tribe of Abraham. He was utterly convinced. Utterly convinced. The character was tested. Specific traits were coming out. This has to do, ladies and gentlemen, when we're looking and praying about the kind of person in the future, we need to not only examine their character, but the goals and the roles they will play in life. One thing I do as a pastor, I minister to couples that are broken. 
And over and over again, I hear all sorts of things. That's not the person I married. I didn't know this about them. I didn't know that they wanted to do this in life. And now here we are. I'm going in this direction. They're going in that direction. This is extremely important. This decision is that important that we actually need to evaluate all our decision making and invite well-known or godly mentors who we trust, who are straightforward and honest, to be part of that decision making process. I have good friends, okay? And all of my friends, I have yes friends. You guys know what yes friends are? They'll tell you yes every time to everything you do. I have troublemaking friends that when I want to cause trouble, they'll be like, yeah, you need to cause trouble here. I have different kinds of friends. I have another friend who will never give me a straight answer. He'll always kind of evaluate and then just say, that's a good question. <laughs> and so when I call them up trying to get certain kinds of advice, I really never get the advice I need. I get the advice I want. And so I have to call my mentors up. And let me just tell you, they'll be hacking me to pieces left and right. But I appreciate that because it allows for an outside perspective that's not biased. This is why it's super important. And so here they are, this woman then, she's super surprised about, you know, Abraham's servant's request. Then she rushes over to the family, and the family says, hey, we're excited about this. You can go, but then say, wait a second, we're going to keep her a little bit longer. And look what the Bible says right here, Genesis 24, verse 57. So they said, we will call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? Now watch the response. She said, I will what? She was willing. <laughs> She was willing to follow God's will wherever it was leading. And that's super important. But the story doesn't just end right there. So here they are. They begin this long track backwards or back home. And as they're in, this is probably one of the most important points right here. They get there. And as they get there, the Bible talks about Isaac. Look what the Bible says about Isaac. Now Isaac came from the way of Beer Lahai Roy, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field. Ladies and gentlemen, what was Isaac doing during that waiting time? He was communing with God when? Do you know the evening time is where the heart starts feeling most sensitive to its longings? That's when the heart is most sensitive to its emptiness. Yet the Bible points out this man, here he was, he was meditating in the field, praying and waiting, and he lifted his eyes and looked, and here the camels were coming. Then Rebecca lifted her eyes, and it was like the perfect love story moment. He, she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel, for she said to his servant, who is this man walking in the field to meet us? Ladies and gentlemen, what was the first impression of Rebecca to Isaac? What was Isaac, or what was Rebecca's first impression of Isaac? What was it? Hospitable? Anybody else? A man who was praying in the fields. Isaac wasn't somebody who was like, okay, when she's going to come, I want her to see me reading the book Adventist Home. That's a family man. I used to do that at Weimar College, by the way. I'd actually go to the lunch table. I'd go to the lunch table and I'd bring my Adventist home. I'd be reading it, put it up here, taking a good look, watching the, the single ladies. They're going to see a family man right here. We used to do things like that, right, Miguel? It's all right. Don't worry, I'll do the talking here. Okay. But this is very important. Isaac wasn't playing games. This is who he was. He was a man of prayer. If people are watching, when people were not watching him. 
He was always praying and communing with God, and this is the kind of people we should be. And I want to end on this note right here, ladies and gentlemen. Revelation says this, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. The Father, his Son, they're waiting for the bride to be ready, and for that bride to come home. But she's got to be willing and her heart's got to be ready. Her character's got to be of one where she is ready to live in heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, when you're taking a good look at this story, you are seeing a picture of the gospel as well. Abraham's servant was going there to find this bride. And this bride was ready. Are you ready, ladies and gentlemen, for the second coming of Jesus? God wants to make you ready. There's one thing that has become my prayer more and more, and I want to challenge you on this prayer as well. That is this. To ask God to give you a heart that's pure. To give you really, truly, a pure heart. This world's becoming worse and worse. But God wants to answer this prayer. He wants to have a group of people who in the darkest of uh, parts of earth's history will shine the brightest. How many people want to pray that prayer? Lord, give me a pure heart. Make me ready. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for being a God who loves us, who cares for us. And as we end this session, Lord, I pray you special blessing upon people here. May this be a time of evaluation and examination. Bring us back tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.